everybody. Before we dig into today's podcast, I hope everyone is doing well. Artists, photographers, neon makers, vendors, shop owners. If you just love neon and if one day you hope to own your own sign, whoever you are, I hope you're all okay during these trying times. Number two is our merch. If you ever wanted to wear something with the intent to feature neon front and center, it's online. Hit merch on the main nav on the site and so on. And last, text us, 917-565-9616. Love to hear from the community, general thoughts, musings, and or whoever we should have on the show. Whatever it is, hit us up, and here is your podcast. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, neon, helium, xenon, krypton. Transform and roll out. Max at Mondo Neon. I'm with Ken and Kevin from Street Sign HK. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Hi. So what's cool about Ken and Kevin, a lot of people listen to the show, uh, this is really a unique take on on Saving Neon. They've created a really great Facebook page, uh, as well as really documenting what's happening in the streets of Hong Kong. I've had other people, artists that are really kind of tied either to the city itself or you know just have, have been in and around that Asia kind of area. Um, but what I really want everybody to understand is that, you know, these two individuals have really are going deep into what's known as signboard stories, uh, building, and also documenting the regulations and promotion of, you know, the streetscapes and, and saving the sort of the urban heritage of, of Chinese culture as it relates to, to signs or some fascinating things. Um, I, I always like to start out with kind of what what kind of spurred you guys in this direction to to want to go about doing this? Obviously, it's it's difficult. It's it's time consuming work. Um, but you know, take it away. I'll let you guys kind of talk from there. Yep. So maybe we um, talk a little bit about our, our background. So we actually are both uh, architects. So uh, maybe I mean most of people in Hong Kong may not be aware. So uh, actually, signboards. Is not until 2010. It's not regulated by any uh, building regulations. So, like from that point on, what uh, like most of the signposts that are built before that, uh, now nowadays become illegal structures. So, uh, so eventually they 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 most of them have have to come down. So from that point on, it, it's it's a countdown. And uh, we actually started recognizing this trend uh, uh, starting in 2015. That uh, signs are disappearing from the streets. But so, uh, so we actually, at the, at that point we 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 dig back to why they are coming down. So we found this like new regulation, and then as uh, as a professional in in this field, we we find that like uh, shop owners are not aware not aware of this. The public is not aware of this, and we ourselves as architects are also not aware of this. So we are trying to use our our professional knowledge to to try to to spread the words to uh, exp better explain the regulations to the shop owners, to how they might be able to save the sign and how they can uh, build new signs in, in, a, in a legal way so they, 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 they can keep it. That's great. So you're more of like a kind of a consultant at one point. I mean, you guys go to the stores and essentially is it, you know, these are now all legal and they come to you and say, how can we bring this up to code? How can we save this? And you guys can assist them or, you know, maybe preserve them if they do have to go. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's basically what we wanted to do when we we started uh, the group. But then, like, like things change, and and we also like, explore in, in different directions. And also for for anyone listening, I mean these these neon signs. I mean they go far back as sometimes the eighties and the seventies. You know, there's very famous uh, 
signs that are very well known in, I think, the urban Hong Kong environment. You've got, uh, you know, Sammy's Kitchen, which comes to mind for me. I know that M Plus is another group that did a, a great job of saving that sign um, locally since 79. Obviously, it's a kind of an Angus cow neon sign de design and proprietary from Sammy Yip, which is like a 10 foot, 16 foot wide neon sign. And in the heyday, I mean, due to the size and dismantling of this thing, which happened in 2014, it takes a large effort, especially those much larger signs. Do you ever find, you know, is it easy for you to go to kind of like a smaller, you know, mom and pop stall that's kind of, kind of manageable? You can go up to it and kind of pick it apart or have you guys only gone for maybe the larger pieces? I mean, I know that one isn't easier than the other, but I guess what attracts you more to say maybe one particular storefront versus another? Cause there's probably so many signs you can't even save them all. Am I, am I right about that? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely right. So, uh, so basically maybe we'll talk a little bit about M plus. So they're a relatively new museum in, in Hong Kong. So in, in like 2014, they, they have this uh, program to, to save some of the most uh, iconic and uh, special signs in, in Hong Kong, including the, uh, the cow of uh, Sammy's Kitchen. So compared to, to them, we, we have much less resources. And uh, <laughs> yeah. basically we, we can't go up to the shop and say, ah, we, we want to keep your sign. So the way we, 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 we find uh, the signs that we can keep is mostly because they receive the uh, demolition order from the authorities. And then uh, we, we will go to try to help them to see if there's any ways they can save and keep using the sign. And if not, if they have to come down and at the end, we will try to, uh, to save it. But uh, as you mentioned, the uh, the cow like takes like I don't know like fifty people and then a few a few uh, mobile cranes to to take that down. So <laughs> we, we don't have that kind of resources. So we will have to rely on the uh, on the dem demolition contractors. And Sometimes do you, they, do you literally get the order that like hey the demolition is happening in thirty days. You've got to figure out how to either get this this sign hung in such a way. I mean, being an architect, being both architects, that must. Uh, be so powerful to understand the building code and understand how things are built uh, to be able to do this, right? I mean, with that skill set must be invaluable. Uh, yeah, but it's also very little room that we can maneuver. Once they receive the, uh, the order, it's only like 60 days that they have to uh, take the sign down. Otherwise, they, they're facing like a very severe uh, fine penalty. So, oh, so they'll totally be fine. They won't even be, I mean, they'll lose their sign and they're also going to have to pay money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, wow. it's, it's pretty crazy. It's like uh, if you cannot take the sign down by, by this date, they, they have to pay like 30,000 US dollars. Wow. And then plus 3,000 per day, <laughs> the, the sign is still there. <laughs> so this is a serious, this is a very serious issue. This is not, oh, will you please take this down? This is if you don't do this and you don't, you know, we're, we're basically, yeah. you know, forcing you into a situation where you're going to have to pay up basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. And from a small so business owner, I mean, it must be, you know, catastrophic. Like you must have to just close the business, right? Yeah, actually. So that's why uh, many of them don't, uh, don't want to consider saving or uh, building another one after um, they are asked to take down the old one. And mainly because of um, they feel that they don't, they cannot trust uh, this kind of regulation change. They cannot trust uh, whether when they build a new one, even now there is a, a new regulation that you can build legal signs actually. Um, they, they don't think this is something that um, 
they can commit to a game <laughs> because of that. Kind right, of, because of the investigative uh, yeah, nature, it's yeah. not it's not uh, sustainable. Yeah. Um, is it's unfortunate. So yeah, I mean, the real mm. proposition here is you know before the redevelopment. I mean, I was even looking at uh, you guys had work on tin on ponds, neon and metal sheet sign, and then you know which is still sort of was under investigation and trying to figure out you know the characters how they how they can you know kind of pull them down so to speak what exactly in neon can you do like what do you have to do to present the sign again so that it is it is up to code i mean what what needs to be done oh so basically like if we want to uh, if a shop want to want to save his sign so the first thing they will need to look at is, is the size of the uh, of the sign uh the new regulation actually has very like stringent requirement on like how how long how tall how how wide and how far apart from the next sign they they have to be so they actually have like a, a validation scheme to to uh for existing signs to uh to uh uh, uh, to be still on, on, continue to be used, but then like once they are like one centimeter out, outside of that uh, size limitation, they have to uh, come down anyway. So, uh, so that, that's why even they have this like validation scheme. There's like a very very low like zero point one percent successful rate that existing science can be uh, keep using in for the shop. And in a lot of ways, I mean these neon signs, especially with Hong Kong, I mean. You know, the, there's going to be a loss of uh, space, a loss of light. You know, a lot of times when we think about, you know, kind of it, it kind of happened in other cities too, like larger metropolitan cities where you know neon, especially in New York City, was very prevalent, right. and then it sort of became known as sort of the seedy thing, and, and you know, kind of the the lower end, uh, you know, kind of type of urban environment that would kind of you know bring the wrong type of crowd. I think you know white, you know, kind of removing all of that like you said, kind of whitewashing all of it is sort of not the right answer. And then, you know, kind of the self, kind of self-imposed regulations that are now, because you, like you said, a lot of the business owners that have had these signs for many, many years are now facing, you know, a whole different, they're not, you know, they don't have the ability to uh, assess these signs. They just sort of bought them at a time when there was no regulations and they didn't matter. So now it's kind of like a reversal of, of, you know, what, what kind of became of Hong Kong, this kind of Mecca for neon kind of now it's uh, at risk, right? There's no, um, you know, no way to save it all because now they're looking to, you know, kind of impose a lot of heavy regulations, whereas obviously there was none before. So now there's a lot of regulations. So it's sort of, right. how do you, um, now, how do you respond to that? Is there kind of mixed feelings, I guess, from the community that you hear from people that are you know, locals and, and whatnot? So, oh, that, that's also one of the reasons we, we mentioned earlier, we, we started exploring into uh, different directions. So one one of the uh, directions we're working on is to preserve the old signs, trying to save them and keep them on the streets. And then the other side is uh, uh, with the new regulation, uh, the, the well, the bad thing is all the old ones, most of the old ones have to come down. But the good thing is they also set up a very a relatively uh, a simplified procedure to build a signboard uh, like according to the regulations that they can keep uh, uh, for, for long term. So we also uh, try to promote this culture to uh, encourage uh, shop owners to, to build new signs according to this uh, new regulation. So 
uh, apart from saving old stuff, we are trying to like keep this culture going by like building new signs. Mm. And in parallel to uh, take the old ones uh, into um, maybe exhibitions, uh, doing art installation that mixed with old and new, um, these or with this sign media um, to actually promote this culture through um, different ways. Um, because many of many people might think that oh, it's something like so uh, so much into only design field, and not many people would understand. Oh, actually, there are a lot of stories behind each of these signs, each of these shops, and we are trying to reach out to uh, different uh, people with different backgrounds uh, through the old signs and their stories behind. Yeah. So much of it is about storytelling. I talk about that a lot on the show about how does the sign come to be? What was the family that purchased the sign? You know, why were the decisions made about which colors? You know, what what types of characters did they use, and in what order? Uh, you know, one of the things I did like a, a lot about what you just said was, you know, reinventing the kind of the, the landscape, like the neon tubes. I, I read, you know, about the sauna nightclub and uh, mm. some of the, you know, the two signs that you have exhibited uh, at the Oil Street Art Space. Uh, what you guys did with the, as, a, as the show was called Heart of Cyberpunk, that was in October. And yeah. um, it, what was cool about this, and I've seen you do it before, is kind of a an up upcycling, you know, a recycling of the culture, uh, so much of that, that energy, that kind of Blade Runner type uh, material, I think was heavily influenced by Hong Kong. I mean, there's definitely a huge impact. You can take a look at a lot of film, American film, and as well as, you know, like I said, the cyberpunk culture, uh, it's going through a bit of a resurgence right now, especially with, you know, kind of video games and things like that. But, you know, the heritage and the, and the way that you kind of exhibited all those things and you take a lot of these signs locally and then you you know find a space for them uh another one was the elaine choose art so you have kind of a unique experience for painters to come in and then observe and practice and how to draw neon signs so i've had a lot of people on the show who are uh, advocates of painting very traditional medium obviously but then they paint things like signs like american signs and even signs that are rusted or, or not you know really the you know the favorite signs if you will but then there's other people who take a very high degree of professionalism to it and will, you know, painstakingly paint every particular, you know, kind of shadow and reflection off of each piece. I think that um, hosting those types of events uh, is really smart. And then, you know, also combining it with like a fundraising aspect as well. Like how, you know, how time consuming is this? You guys must have full-time jobs, I'm sure. But you know, does it keep you guys uh, on your toes? I'm sure. Did, I guess what what do you get from these events afterwards? Do you hear from people or what they kind of respond to? Mm. Um, <laughs> tough, tough question. Because it's really uh, like we 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 are also uh, when we started, we thought it's actually um, something that we. Um, we, we, we cannot really go into this like one, one day like saying, oh, okay, we are gonna do this and that. It, it was like all unplanned at the time. So uh, throughout the three years that we um, um, we started to do a lot of exhibitions, we do this kind of uh, events that you mentioned. Uh, it was all because the people around us uh, also uh, try to suggest things that we can do together. 
for example, there was uh, one exhibition that was really unpanned even one month before the exhibition. And then it was suggested by a um, calligrapher uh, we met online to uh, do something together at that time. Actually, it was last year during COVID as well. And uh, and then end up we take out all the uh, um, Chinese um, characters signed, uh, which was based on uh, calligraphy hand writing uh, characters, um, and then we did an exhibition about that. And I think I think throughout the ways that it was all these kind of motivations, and then we we link link up all these people who um, really share the same value um, to that. That helps us um, doing what uh, what we what, what we do now. Um, yeah, <laughs> and the opportunities I think people have, mm. especially with the history mm. of some of these restaurants and establishments, it's so cool to see you know kind of that demolition process not run its course. You know, even if things get to be too difficult, uh, you know, mm. re kind of redistributing or or even like I said like you know, a lot of people reuse different pieces of neon to maybe say something else or spell something else. There's a lot of, mm. uh, in, a, in, you know, I know specifically certain uh, exhibit spaces have focused purely on photography and then kind of the kind of traditional photo shoot, you know, kind of uh, advancements in, in storage and things like that as well. I'm sure it could be possible, but in a space like Hong Kong, you know, space is limited. So, you know, any way you can, you know, maybe, you know, re, re put, you know, kind of neon. I don't know if is, is the interior movement such a big deal? Like, do, is there a museum there that has backed neon? I know the M plus had kind of put something together. Do you see that happening in Hong Kong? Is there something that's kind of bubbling underneath the surface that you think, Hey, maybe one day there could be a place that could, people could visit and, and see all the signs. Is that happening now? Uh, not like an official museum, but, uh, a lot of people we, we we talk to are very supportive of of our work. So uh, as you you can imagine Hong Kong like keeping a storage is is a is a very high high cost uh, uh, expenditure for for us. So, um, but there are also some people who are proposing uh, something like that. They might be opening up a new new cafe and they might set aside a space for us to uh, to show and also to to store the designs that we have like this kind of uh, collaboration might be like more officially as an as an gallery as a gallery or, or a museum but also some uh some space or opportunity that we can store and show the uh those signs at the same time as a way to kind of rent i think other i was thinking of the local businesses that would you know, um, as a way to sort of draw attention and, uh, you know, patronage. I mean, a lot of people, I think, you know, a sign is still a sign, right? Regardless of whether it's hanging outside of a building or brought indoors or et cetera. But uh, one I think that I like a lot too, what you guys post about is the kind of the team behind uh, the neon book that came out. You guys had, had posted a short film um, about the Hong Kong neon and it was kind of a poetic uh, love story where, you know, it was kind of a documentary creation type piece. You kind of showed some of the behind the scenes and um, yeah, just really uh, exciting kind of elements about, you know, kind of how Neon finds its way, not just into our, you know, kind of large budget films, but music as well, um, you know, and I think that the, uh, 
you know, the kind of the obligation we have to, you know, our own heritage, whether it's, you know, American or Chinese is to, you know, kind of a, a, not let history repeat itself where we routinely, you know, wipe away decades and decades of uh, craftsmanship. A lot of these, have you gone to a lot of the, um, the sign makers in the area? Are there still kind of a, a group of people that are, are kind of willing to take on this new craft, even knowing that things like LED and, and digital displays are, you know, quote unquote, taking over the, uh, you know, people's visual airwaves? Well, actually, yeah. yes. So, oh, mm -hmm. uh, the older generation of uh, neo makers, I, uh, I think we, in Hong Kong, there may be only a handful left who who, who still uh, actively uh, making neon, but we also see some new new generation who's like trying to learn from these uh, masters neon makers or even uh, by self learning. Yeah, it's exciting. I think. There's even a group of people then, even online, you know, I think we've never had the type of network that we've been able to build, especially with uh, things like this show and, and especially with other countries that have routinely supported Neon over the decades and now have, you know, been exposed online, you know, where we're not only learning from books, but we also have, you know, the ability to reach out to individuals. Um, and I think exactly. that it's exciting to see that there's young, you know, hearing stories of young people just literally picking up glass and, and, and bending. That's a, a really exciting possibility, especially for Hong Kong and, and what's there already. That could be uh, a strong future. I mean, obviously we're dealing with COVID and anything in these times is not simple or should I say, you know, as plain as it is. But uh, I do think briefly there could be a kind of a redistribution of talent, you know, where you could... I could imagine there'd be multiple people taking up, you know, uh, that 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 simple kind of uh, idea of okay, I'm gonna if I'm just gonna start building it, I might as well start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, I also feel like like recently we were working with uh, one of the uh, uh, Sifu, the neon banner from the older generation, and then he mentioned that uh, because of the demand here, which is small, and that he's also not doing a lot of the uh, actual bigger uh, signs, but more on the art, uh, art installation, uh, the smaller neurons uh, works. Uh, a lot of the resources uh, ha uh, are not available uh, in Hong Kong because we basically now have to import anything uh, related to this industry. Uh, whilst before uh, even Transformer, we, 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 uh, they were like made in Hong Kong ones, but nowadays, uh, they have to actually recycle a lot of these things from the past and then reuse them. And, and then order a lot of things from, from the US, for example. And uh, for the newer generation, we heard that uh, the guy who self-learned it, is, uh, he, he learned it also uh, in Taiwan and then he went to a class in the, in the States, actually. So, yeah, I think it, it would be amazing that if these kind of uh, crafts that need support, uh, like, in the past, they might need one-to-one uh, -one the kind of uh, experience to, to hand on teacher to teach them. But now, I think we should not shouldn't be bound by that. Yeah, and also I think the simple daily uh, kind of routine of trying to learn something on your own is challenging enough. But I like the idea of you know, I never realized that there were 
parts and components. I mean, when you think of China, you think they would make a lot of different things. And just hearing that they would actually have to reuse things like transformers is mind blowing to me. I, I think I'd always consider them to be obviously, you know, so, so things would be readily in front of them. So just hearing this is, is a, a wake up call and also very inspiring, I think, to know that there are people out there that are just picking up things that they have nearby and, and trying to make what they can out of it. I think that that's the the start of something new and um, yeah I mean especially when you notice that you know, the decades of every corner especially when you notice some of these signs mm. going away the advertisement method in the 50s when I think the economy of the city was really booming uh, which I, think, mm. I still think it is I think you know China is still very strong in a lot of areas but you know the British colony too each business mm. owner had to try and outmatch their kind of their competitor in a way and I don't mm. think that's, I think that's out of maybe just gone deeper into the technology aspect of it all. But I think deep down, uh, older Chinese, and I could be speaking, you know, out of, out of, out of step, but are uh, maybe fully aware of what, what it looked like. And I think they still probably want to see some version of that, uh, that promise of, of, of uh, something you know bigger and better. I think neon is maybe something that they could, uh, shop owners I think still harken back to, but because of the chaotic kind of transfer of power between, you know, like I said, the regulations between people who are just, you know, just trying to keep the lights on and, and function. Uh, and then of course the arrival mm -hmm. of LED cannot be you know, understated. Um, obviously it's very efficient and they've managed to uh, structure it in a way to really compete with neon. Um, but I think the unique glow of neon, especially when I think of Hong Kong, uh, I can't compare it to any place else. And uh, I hope that with, you know, when tourism comes back, uh, if it, you know, if and when, uh, you know, we'll be able to see that city full of light, just as it was with neon, uh, as it as it could be. And I believe it should preserve that aspect as well. Um, any any projects you guys are working on that? You're excited about i know it's difficult to manage nowadays especially with so much hanging in the balance but you've done a great job so far especially during a pandemic trying to organize all these projects um anything you're excited that you want to uh, you know promote or, or mention on the show before we kind of wrap up uh, i think like yeah basically before we were like doing a lot of things towards the old signs towards the existing sign and then to pull more things through exhibition and installation and then recently we uh, also started to do uh, to be involved in the designs of uh, new signs but uh, with we work with uh, local craftsmanships uh, um, um, neon and even um, this kind of handcraft uh, acrylic signs uh, um, these kind of masters uh, who are still doing it locally uh, and then helping them to um, collaborate with um, new brands that are willing to invest in um, this kind of cultural values. So, um, like one of the uh, one of the exhibition venues uh, asked us to design a new sign for them recently, and then we used um, Neon and uh, a local uh, contractor to uh, work on it to kind of add back. Um, one to to the kind of to that street that were once full of neon, and then now 
there were like half of the shops closed because of the COVID. And then eventually we want to have um, this kind of new and old um, science that keeps continuing to to come up again. So I think doing the new new ones um, based on the um, existing technology and then also the local craft that would one day help to keep the basically keep the streets grow again. Yeah, it's fascinating, especially yeah. with, you know, something like 3000 unauthorized signboards uh, yeah. were removed, you know, since 2006. And so I think, you know, the work that's going on, especially with um, a lot of these, you know, uh, you know, financial backers, or it could be, you know, like I said, just the historic presence and the opportunity for new businesses to take insight and steer their, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, their, their creativity towards something that's unique, that's, that's still very contextual to the place of Hong Kong. And, uh, and it remains a, a very clear language, you know, especially with the way that, you know, the Chinese language is written and the way it's highlighted. I think it works extremely well when it's broken down into these colorful kind of glass elements. And um, I believe everyone deserves access to, you know, going to see, you know, neon and it's, especially in it's, in it's, it's, it's outdoor state. Right. And, and there's really nothing that can uh, take away uh, from the work that you guys are doing. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, everyone that's listening, go check out Ken and Kevin's work at Street Sign HK. Uh, where can they find you? You're on Facebook and some other places as well. We're also on uh, Instagram and MeWe. Yes. Great. We'll put some links in there too. Anyone going to check out the, the work can click on those and, and fill things out. Uh, Ken and Kevin, thanks for coming on the show and uh, wish you guys the best. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up. And as always, thanks for listening.